Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to an emergency podcast with me, TJ Zuppi, and the guy you hear on the phone, Zach Meisel, and he's he's running around a lobby right now trying to find out what the next Guardians move is because you know, Zach, it's like throwing a, a piece of steak to a hungry dog here. <laughs> I, was, I don't know that I was expecting much at the winter meetings, but now that you've, you've offered Josh Bell, now I'm salivating. I want to know what the next thing is. We're never satisfied, and that's the truth here. Is it an emergency podcast if it's taking place hours and hours after the fact? Well, it's not my fault that you have another job that pays you a little bit more. It's rare when this team does something of note at the marquee offseason event, right? I think um, we expected them to be aggressive. We talked last week a lot about Josh Bell. We have spent months talking about Sean Murphy. And I I think it's just... (laughs) Like, it doesn't happen often in Cleveland when the move that maybe you were expecting the team to make or that fans were hoping the team would make is the move that they make. When do we ever see that? <laughs> it feels like never. Um, I mean, maybe you can make that case with Edwin. But yeah. that, that, that still didn't feel quite like it was reality and then it happened. I, I don't know. Nick Swisher. No, I'm not going to do that. Let's not link any free agents to Nick Swisher. Let's not do that. But, hey, you're, you know what? You're right about one thing. If you listen to this show, you are not surprised because I have proof, buddy, that the Guardians listen to this show. Didn't surprise me. Here's my proof. Let's go back to November 5th. November 5th, the offseason was still brand new. And this happened on the show. I really think Josh Bell would be a nice fit because he's a switch hitter, doesn't have a huge platoon disadvantage, would easily play first base against left-handed pitching if you want to sit Naylor down on many of those days to open it up at DH for somebody else. He could slide between DH and first base with Naylor against right-handers. He's going to be in there in the middle of the lineup. He's still young enough where I'm not shying away from giving him a multi-year deal. I, I, I've thought about it just maybe a little bit here, but he is one guy that I think is, a, is an interesting mm. proposition. That's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And you know what? It doesn't end there. Let's flash forward. Just a couple of weeks ago, this happened. To me, the guy is Josh Bell. I think he's the best fit if we're just talking about first base DH types. Um, Switch hitter, not a stark difference in platoon splits. A guy who has hit for power in the past. Guy who walks a lot who really improved his strikeout rate. His strikeout rate was about 15% last season. That's fantastic. So I don't know what sort of deal he would command, but probably not going to be as much as Abreu got. And if they're willing to play in that ballpark, no reason why Josh Bell can't be a guardian. Huh. Hmm. What do you know? The good news is we can leave now. We've said all we need to say. (laughs) 
does anyone have confirmation that Antonetti and Chernoff and Meisel and Zuppi are actually four different people? Um, look, it's he's just it's the right fit. I honestly like struggled to write an analysis of the signing because it's just it just made sense. Like it it seems like it was meant to be. Um, look, I know. I know people are tired of hearing, oh, and, and it's not just the Guardians. Like, the Red Sox have done this, it seems like, 10 times already this offseason where, oh, they finished in second place in bidding for this free agent. I know for – I have heard from multiple sources who have not talked about this together that, like, the Guardians made a really aggressive offer for Jose Abreu, probably something that – um. Like a, a year earlier, we if we would have peered into the future and, and seen that, we would have been like, huh? How does that make any sense? Why would they ever do that? That's so unlike them. He was their top choice, and it was him or Bell. I mean, they knew at midseason when Framil Reyes, you know, his days were obviously numbered. They, they knew they needed to upgrade first base DH because even with Josh Naylor, they didn't have internal options that could fill that spot. You know, they have outfielders. If we've talked about, if Oscar Gonzalez falters, you have George Valera, you have Will Brennan, you have Will Benson uh, on the pitching staff. They have like 12 guys at double A AA and triple A who could step in and in the rotation if they need it, but they don't have that corner power guy. You know, Jim Kenzie Noel eventually, maybe, but that that's they're not ready for that. So they made a priority to get either Abreu or Bell. Uh, they said there was not much out there in the trade market at that position. Um, so I think the surprise I have is that they were able to do it with really only getting Bell for one year. You know, if the hope is Bell has a great year and he would elect free agency and the guardians could toss him a qualifying offer and net a draft pick. But um, I think that's my only surprise here is, is I kind of figured he'd get a three-year deal because he did struggle pretty mightily with the Padres after the, the mid season trade. You noted last week, you know, even with that, his on base percentage was still pretty tolerable because he always walks a lot. He doesn't strike out a ton. So it's just, it fills a glaring need, and you do it with a guy who's not just a three true outcomes guy. Draws a lot of walks, doesn't strike out a ton, puts the ball in play. Some years he hits 37 home runs, some years he hits 20 home runs, um, and you hope it's it's 37. But it's just hey, it's what just baseball are they using? Grip. The baseball that the Yankees apparently were having. <laughs> hey, that's a topic for a different show. That's true. Yeah, we, we've covered it now for weeks that he covers so many of the different areas that would fit this offense. And I think the fact that he, they don't have to stray from the type of ball that they were playing last year, right. I think that's critical. That he's not some massive big strikeout guy, but he still maintains the power and the switch hitter. Switch hitters in Cleveland in this lineup, that's already a great marriage. But the fact that he is keeping the K's tolerable and bringing the power plays a position in first base that's going to allow you some flexibility, whether you want to DH him, whether you want to play him some at first base. Now you can sit Naylor against tough lefties. 
We have said that th we both don't think they're going to make Josh Naylor a platoon guy at the beginning of the season. Perhaps it evolves into that at the as the season unfolds. But they're going to give an opportunity to face left-handed pitching. Later in the year, they can put Bell at first base. They can put Naylor on the bench. They can bring in a right-handed option. And I know they said something about maybe him playing Naylor playing some right field. Um, maybe you can shed some light on that, but I think that's more about flexibility. But this right. It's rare that you have a player that that fits into all of those categories is still good. This is not a case where, I mean, you could make it, you could certainly point to what happened in San Diego and say that's a reason why you get a little bit of a discount here. But Josh Bell is a a coveted commodity. This is not somebody's trash like a minor league deal here. This is not Carlos Gonzalez. This is not Melky Cabrera. This is a legitimate, still really good player that is projected to be about 25% above league average in offense. And on top of that, you're covering a position that you got next to nothing from last year. I think right. that's also an overlooked point, but a very critical one. Yeah, I mean, I he's had some inconsistencies in his career. I mean, the, the home run total has fluctuated a lot. The batting average, if you care about that, has fluctuated, and, and, and the slugging. So, But the, the walks, I mean, he's walking like 80 times a year in that, provides him with such a high floor and right like so if you get some power out of him like you're just you're starting we talk all the time about turning f's into c's and like i think josh bell at his worst is a c so it's it's a no-brainer it's a short-term commitment it's just it's low risk and it's low risk for a team that has designs to to contend and win and so they don't care if they're spending i mean it's like 16.5 million dollars for the first season that's they've only handed out a, a single season salary larger than that once in free agency and that was edwin so uh it's it's a bigger commitment than maybe they're used to but it, it honestly it doesn't even feel like that much of a risk like if he if he fails like yeah he's probably on your hands again for 2024 but you have so few commitments and given his track record, like there's no, no, just because he failed, if he fails in 2023, that doesn't mean he's going to fail again in 2024 either. Sure. And, and so, so I think it's just, it's just like such a, I, I, I was sitting in a, in a company meeting, um, in a presentation, um, our buddy Red's writer, Trent Rosecrans was waxing poetic about, the Tommy Pham slap heard around the world uh, with Jack Peterson and the process behind reporting that story. And I started to get some calls and texts about the Josh Bell thing. And I sprinted outside into the hallway and like, you know, when, when a team makes a move, like there's a jolt of energy because it's, it's something's happening. And I got to tell you, like, this was pretty, it was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see it. That makes sense. Like it's, it was just so, I'm not saying that like we predicted this, we knew this was going to happen or anything like that, but it was just like, it seemed like it was just the right match all along. And um, I think part of it is, you know, I talked to some other people who said like the second half in San Diego probably scared some teams away. Um, and, and I just don't think there's a huge market for that type of just a free agent first base because it's so easy to stick anybody at DH or at first base. And so he, he had a limited number of suitors and 
I, I, I don't know who the Guardians were bidding against. He didn't really have. I don't. Did you, did you read any? Was he linked to any other teams at any point? Houston. Houston, but they didn't think that Braves. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we talked about when Abreu signed that, okay, maybe that helps out Bell's market, seeing what Abreu got, but also the main suitor that everyone connected Bell to in Houston was now off the board, and they had their first baseman in Abreu. So, yeah, it just kind of pushed this. They pushed the two sides together in a situation that I'm not – not only did I not really anticipate that it was going to happen despite us talking about him being a great fit, I don't think I really thought that it would happen during the winter meetings. Right. That seemed yes. more like – remember the Encarnacion thing? It, as the meetings began, it was kind of a laughable thing. And then by the end of the meetings, everyone was saying, you know, it's it's a legitimate interest and it, it could happen. But it still took some time for Cleveland and Encarnacion to come together. Maybe he just – he wanted to be sure that he wasn't going to get something better somewhere else. The fact that this happened at the, the winter meetings is probably the most surprising aspect of this. Yeah. They're not done. I heard today that they feel like they've made progress toward reaching a resolution at catcher. I don't know if that means Sean Murphy or Christian Vasquez or Mike Zanino or Sandy Alomar Jr. or Pat Borders or Einar Diaz or Jesse Levis. But, you know, I mean, this shows you said you texted me if I can share that with our listeners. You texted me that this feels like Antonetti in 16 where he's just guns blazing and being the aggressor oh he's feeling he's feeling it he's on a heater i I said to i said to someone say it's like it's so rare when cleveland is the aggressor but when they are like they could do anything i mean in 16 we spent that whole night before the day before the trade trade deadline focused on Lucroy and is he going to accept this deal is he going to veto the deal (laughs) we wake up the next morning and they freaking traded for Andrew Miller so yeah they're they'll they'll wield their power when when they're in position to do so I mean they've they've made trades at the trade deadline but we don't Encarnacion aside and Swisher and Bourne aside we don't often see this in the offseason but They've had the perfect storm of tearing down. Oh boy, you might be able to hear Mad Dog Russo in the background here in a second. Can't mistake that voice. Um, They've had the copyright infringement. God, now we're off the air. They've had the perfect storm of you know they tore down the payroll and they they tore down the roster, frankly, and so they have a young team and they have so few financial commitments. And yet they're in a position to contend. So that's the sweet spot. You're building up, you're adding, and yet you're already at a, a pretty good foundation because you have a really young roster that was really good last year and gained some playoff experience. So they're in a good spot. And it's a spot where, like, commend them for signing Josh Bell. It's, it's a great fit. They should be doing stuff like that. Like that, that should be the expectation. And that shouldn't be the end of their offseason adding. Oh, my gosh. They still have prospects to trade. <laughs> that, that is surprising to just think about that, but also just what's happening in the background. is <laughs> knocked me backwards a little bit. I don't think it can be overstated that it is, and I tweeted this, 
for a contending team to have two areas of the roster where you can make significant upgrades, and I stress contending teams, bad teams can do that in certain spots where you can take someone where you were getting next to nothing, if not less than nothing at the position and add someone to it in Cleveland's position. No other contending team can do that with two spots in the lineup, and they just did it with their DH, and perhaps they do it at catcher. And so it's not just about the fact that Bell could be a solidly above-average hitter, and I don't think he's a superstar. He's capable of being an all-star. He has been before. But you compare that to what they had last year, and if you're taking that and you're upgrading that, and then you look at what we've, we've covered it for months now with the catchers. If they're hovering around a 40, 50 WRC plus, and you turn that into a 115, 120, 125 at that position, holy hell, that is such a massive yeah. ap- upgrade. So that's why, despite the fact that I don't think Josh Bell is a superstar, he moves the needle for this team specifically, and I see why they moved on this. Yeah, you can't assume all those young players are just going to keep developing and improving. There's going to be some regression. So take the deficiencies that you know right now are deficiencies, DH and catcher, and you turn Owen Miller into Josh Bell. And you convert Austin Hedges and Luke Maley into maybe Sean Murphy and Bo Naylor. That's that you're ahead of the curve. Then if you have some regression from Oscar Gonzalez or from Andres Jimenez or from whomever else, you have internal options who can pick up the slack. So I, we're not splitting the atom here. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is not, we're not unearthing anything that, you know, is revelatory, but it's, I, I guess it's just you, if you're a fan of the team, you should feel confident that it seems like the team is on the right path and that they're recognizing the moves that need to be made to ensure that there isn't a setback in 2023 and that you're pushing forward and you're going from being a nice, cute story of a young team that had a bunch of crazy comebacks and won 92 games and pushed the Yankees in the division series to taking that next step and trying to, to rival the Astros. So real quick, I know you got to run, and this is just a short reaction uh, show here. Uh, we've got some questions, particularly particularly toward the, the opt-out and why the team agreed to that. In a normal situation, I would believe that the team is not in favor of an opt-out. <laughs> they want to they know what's going to happen with that player, whether they only control him for one year or two years. They don't really want to put it in the hands of the player in essentially what is a player option. Was it a situation where Bell doesn't agree to this unless that opt-out is in there in that two, two-year, $33 million contract? Is this a situation where Cleveland kind of looks favorably on it? What, where, where do you think they're at just on that particular subject? Yeah, this is my speculation here because I, they, you know, the deal's not official, so um, they'll still have to pass a physical. But I, my guess is that this is something that he was holding out on, and and I think the Guardians too just. You know, it's not a slam dunk that this guy has an excellent season. So I think they were open to it. You know, I couldn't think of another instance, and I asked some people, and they couldn't either, of them ever having a player who had an opt-out. Uh, it's not there. They usually like to have control. I mean, I can't even think of instances where 
a player had just a player option or a mutual option. That's always the club option, right? So it's this is rare, but I think it's I mean his agent Scott Boris. Like it's probably it was probably <laughs> necessary to get a deal like this. And, I, I'm just happy to see they even had his phone number. <laughs> really, I mean it's 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 a low risk deal. So if if you get saddled with a contract that you don't love for one year in 2024, you live with it. That's part of it. I mean, if they would have signed him to a three year deal, you're it's, it, there's a lot of risk there. Sure. Too. So. And hey, I, I probably would have been into that on on some level, but this one I I believe works. You don't block what maybe could be George Valera on the way in a couple of years. Uh, you'll have some flexibility, and as we we talked about, the fact that there could be a qualifying offer t- attached to him right. in the the future if he w- does walk at the end of the contract, and then they could turn around and offer the qualifying offer, and perhaps get something out of it that way, uh, kind of protects them on on the back end of things. The last thing I have seen some confusion about them saying Naylor could try some right field. I, to me, that is that speaks more to uh, protection in case I don't know Oscar Gonzalez goes down or stinks, and they've at least yeah. told Naylor be prepared to play some right field. And then also, hey, I guess I'll hit this. Could that be a way to motivate Naylor to just be in the best shape possible for this year? And they don't think it hurts if his body's ready to play right field. Some could be. I mean, Terry Francona said. He had planned to call Naylor today to talk about it, um, and it's definitely to—it's definitely for the sake of versatility. And, and you have a guy who can play first base now in Bell. So if Naylor can play right field in a pinch, I mean that—that that can only help you. Um, but then someone else also said that Naylor's the one who wants to play outfit again if if that's in the cards. So yeah, it, it can't hurt. And you're right; it's it's if you're in the proper shape to be able to bounce back and forth that benefits the team. So it's, I, I don't know that I would be panicking and, and assuming Naylor is going to be the opening day right fielder or anything. Um, but it's just a, a little speck of flexibility could be in the offing. All right. I know you got to run. Thanks for jumping on here. And yeah, Nelson sitting. Cruz is in the lobby right now, taking selfies with media members. So, oh, so. So is he is he the pairing to Naylor against left-handed pitching? Whoa. <laughs> you think about that some. And we'll be back later this week over at, at Patreon to do a more elaborate expansion on this. We're just going to say the same things all over again. But join us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Selby's Godcast. <laughs> uh, I'll catch you later, Zach. Bye.